Great, come back together and welcome again those of you online. Let me just tell you briefly before I introduce our speaker about this last week we've had, Monday through Friday, we did two conferences, about 800 leaders at each conference. And then we also did a pastor's day. We had about nearly 300 people on the Wednesday, pastors from all over the UK and Ireland and some even beyond that. And um, it was just an absolutely terrific time. We've done this each year. Normally it's at the end of January, but this was the Vineyard Leadership Gathering. And um, we did it in April this time, which was just fantastic. We had a, a garden lounge out there between the buildings and just, it, it was a magnificent time. The Spirit of the Lord was visiting powerfully. The worship was tremendous. The speakers were uh, excellent. And um, one of them, we got him to stay on, Steve Nicholson, all the way from Illo um, Chicago, Illinois. And uh, he was one of the speakers there. And he's a great friend of ours personally, has been for about 30 years, and also a great friend of this church. Many of you will have seen him before. So with no further ado, would you please welcome Steve Nicholson. Good morning, everybody. It's really been a delight to be with you. And uh, we, you know, uh, look forward to the next time. I want to take you back about 300 years, just a little shy of 295. There was a group of people gathered together on what they thought was a normal Sunday. And then God ambushed them and changed, really, their life uh, forever in a very significant way. And here's the, how, the story of what happened to them. Now... It was the early 1700s. These people were Protestants living in Germ what is now Germany, which at that time, Germany wasn't a united country. It was a whole bunch of different uh, provinces, and they each had their own king or prince or whatever. And the requirement was that you, had to, you were expected to have the same religion as whoever well, your ruler was, and if you didn't, you could be put in jail or otherwise persecuted. And so... These people, many of them, found themselves living sort of a, a little bit on the run because they didn't, their, their faith uh, didn't match that of their ruler. But there was a count who ruled over an area called Moravia. His name was Count Zinzendorf. And he was sympathetic to the Protestant believers and invited them all, come to my place. You know, I'll give you some land and you can build a new town um, and you can create a new community there, build your church, and do your business. We live your life and worship God in peace. And so they came from all over different places to this place in Moravia, and they built their new community. They called it Hernhut. And it wasn't long, though, before they found that they disagreed about some things. It turned out that they all needed to be there uh, in order to be safe, but then they still had other disagreements. They disagreed about exactly how worship should go and exactly how communion should go and maybe disagreed about how long the sermon should be. And they began to find different things to disagree. And this, this became more and more intense over time. And eventually, it started becoming personal they started doing what we would now call polarizing, by, by which I mean it actually degenerated to the point where they were calling each other sons and daughters of the devil because they disagreed on something. And at that point, the, the count, who was not a priest, he was not a pastor, he was 
a politician was very upset because it's sort of like, I didn't invite you all in here to act the way you're acting. So he came and visited their community and spoke to them over several different weeks in a row, basically rebuking them for their selfishness and their pride than, and their conflicts with each other. And so some of them started having a late night prayer meeting, just, God, you gotta help us. We're in a mess. How could it have gone so wrong already? You know, help us out, God. And then, and they recorded the date because it was so profound. They, came, they gathered together. It was a Sunday, August 13th, 1727. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them in a way that none of them expected, a way that hadn't been seen anywhere in the church for quite a long time. And uh, what happened was all of a sudden in the middle of the worship, they're just singing what we would now think of as very traditional hymns. The, the power of the Lord came on the worship leaders and they couldn't sing or speak. And some of them started falling down on their knees. And then a couple of them, you know, toppled over. They're laying down on there and now laying out on the, on the floor and they're shaking and crying out. And pretty soon the power of God began coming on the whole group. And it was so strong. People were shaking, falling down, crying out. It was like nothing they had ever seen before. And fortunately, a couple of them wrote down in a diary their, how their experience was. And so we have that now. And here's one of them that I think is very profound. It's obviously translated from German because they wrote it in German, but uh, it's still very powerful. Here's how he, how he describes it. He says, verily the 13th of August, 1727, was a day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw the hand of God and his wonders, and we were all under the cloud of our fathers, baptized with their spirit. The Holy Ghost came upon us, and in those days, great signs and wonders took place in our midst. And from that time, scarcely a day passed, but what we beheld his almighty workings amongst us. It was something was happening almost every day. And then he says, a great hunger after the word of God took possession of us so that we had to have three services every day. Namely at five in the morning, at 7.30 in the morning, and at nine at night. Take note, all you who are praying for revival. You know, they were so hungry for God, they couldn't get enough. They had to have three services every day, not three a month, <laughs> three every day. Of course, they still had jobs, so it had to be early in the morning and late at night. And he goes on and he says, everyone desired above everything else <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit might have full control. They desired that the Holy Spirit might have full control. Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared, and an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. 
Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? You know, another one wrote in his diary, he says, we left the house of God that day hardly knowing whether we belonged to earth or had already gone to heaven. It was wonderful. It was the kingdom breaking in. It was like heaven coming to earth. And their experience with the Spirit didn't end that day. It kept going. It kept going where things were happening every day. They began that day a long walk in step with the Holy Spirit. One of the first things that happened was they started a 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting. And they would all sign up for hour-long slots on the, around the clock to pray so that there were people praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. Everybody took a turn, you know, throughout the week. They, they took all their turns praying. And that prayer meeting, folks, lasted for over 100 years. It, without stopping, nonstop for over 100 years. But when they were praying, they continued to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And at different points, he would come upon them and speak to them and lead them and change them in various ways. At the very beginning, the first thing was he began to work with their relationships, started to you know, get them to make their relationships right. So they're, they're like repenting of selfishness and pride and you know, their lack of love towards one another and you know, apologizing and making right some of the things they had been saying to each other before. But then the Holy Spirit began speaking to them about the lost people of the world, the forgotten people of the world, uh, the people that most people weren't thinking about. And the very first ones, the very first ones that the Holy Spirit spoke to them about, these people are living in Moravia in Germany, but he spoke to them about the African slaves in the Caribbean on the sugar plantations. And I don't know how many of you know about the conditions on those sugar plantations, but they were horrific uh, conditions. And the life expectancy of people there was very low. I think it was something less than five years was the life expectancy on those plantations for mo overall. Uh, so it was, it was really difficult. And so these folks determined we will go and share the love of Christ with the slaves on the sugar plantations. Well, the plantation owners did not think that was such a great idea because if they, if they shared the love of Christ with their slaves, they might not think like slaves anymore. And so they tried to stop them from coming, but the Moravians would not be stopped. They said, if you won't let us come voluntarily, we will sell ourselves into slavery and come that way. And I think in the end, the plantation owners were shamed into backing down. And however it happened, the Moravians went. They, they sent, I think, at least wave after wave. The initial wave was like 20, 30 people went of whom only, only a few, less than five, returned alive because they lived with the slaves and lived their life with them and shared the love of God with them. And they were the first. And interestingly, uh, I think many of those people became believers in that time. And 
quite a few of their descendants ended up eventually later movement, immigrating to Great Britain. So they're probably among us at this point. And then the Lord began speaking to them about the indigenous peoples of North America. The, in particular, the Cherokee and the Chickasaw people who were in the southeastern part, or what is now the southeastern part of the United States. So they began to send wave after wave after wave of people from their community across the Atlantic to go and share the love of God with those folks. And uh, interestingly, kind of a side note, but very, very telling, on one of those voyages, there was a big storm that came up, a particularly difficult storm, to the point where the sailors were actually frightened and afraid, and it happened to be on a Sunday. And, you know, we know about this because there was a young man on that boat named John Wesley who wrote about what happened that day. The Moravians themselves didn't report this, but John Wesley reported it, that while everybody else was afraid and, you know, sort of fighting sort of for their lives, as it were, the Moravians were calmly and peacefully enjoying their Sunday worship service as if nothing was going on. And then afterwards, serving everybody else and helping them. And, and uh, he was so impacted by that that he, it sent him on his own pursuit until eventually at a Moravian prayer meeting that was then being held in London, he experienced his own experience with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, out of that grew the entire Methodist church, which planted not only churches in the United, what is now the United Kingdom, but all over North America. And then God began speaking to the Moravians about the people in Africa and the people in the Middle East and the Muslim people. And they began sending people over that century of prayer to all corners of the world. You know, when I read that story, I think that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a group that does that kind of stuff. I, I, you know, we've experienced the presence of God. This week, you know, it's been so powerful, but I don't want it to end. I don't want it to just be something we remember in the past. You know, oh, that was really great back then. I want it to keep going. You know, I don't, I don't want us to slide back into churches that are mostly just about human effort and personality and, you know, smoke machines and whatnot. I, 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 I would prefer the smoke of the Holy Spirit myself. You know, I don't, I, I, I want to have that hunger for God, that tenderness towards God and one another. I, I, I want to keep that. I don't want to have that get lost and go back to bickering over little things. You know, I don't want to lose all of that. And so, it makes me think, like, how can we do that, you know? And, of course, the relevant verse here is Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It has to be like the Moravians, not just an experience that happens on one day. It has to become we walk in step with him day after day after day after day. We are walking in step with him through our life on a long journey where we are open each and every day that he should have full control over our life as they did. 
It's not enough to have had an experience once or to have a legacy. We got to walk with him. And the first thing about how do we walk with him is to continually, daily choose to give the Holy Spirit full control. To give to him, to lay at his feet, to give back to him our life, our ministry, our careers, our church, whatever it is that we've got that we are still wanting to keep for ourselves, we give it back to him. That's the first thing. Now, you know, about 35 years ago, I was leading with a few other people, a little church at that time, not uh, maybe 120 people or so, and we had our own experience where January 1985, the Holy Spirit invaded our meeting. It was a Saturday meeting because we had come together for basically the annual business meeting, if you could imagine, <laughs> that the Holy Spirit would come in the business meeting, but he did. And... Uh, the, the result was like half the church ended up laid out on the floor and people crying and shaking and screaming. And it was so powerful, it scared us. We thought, have we ruined the church? Has the devil got the church? You know, uh, is it okay? But then people started confessing their sins and people started getting healed and, and people started getting right with each other. People started going back to people that they'd had broken relationships and making them right. And we thought, well, that can't be the devil. And we were really, it was just wonderful. You know, we were all, there was this whole impetus to uh, where God seemed to be like bringing up things that we needed to confess as sin that we never maybe even thought of as a sin. And yet as we did that, it felt wonderful. It, not heavy or not dark, or not legalistic. It was, it was more like floating in a sea of God's mercy. It was, it was, there was just so much love of the Lord about that. And as we were, enjoying all of that one day we're gathered in as a group of leaders and there was a prophetic word and it came out and it said okay you've got the revival you've been praying for we've been praying for several years but if you want it to go on you're going to have to give the church back to me you leaders have been leading this church where nothing ever happened that you weren't comfortable with ahead of time and you had full control of it all ahead of time and if you want this to keep going, you're going to have to give it back to me. Well, that was a big problem for me. Because you see, I got involved in starting this church so I could have a church I liked. Like, I always used to tell people in my church, like, I didn't start my church for all you guys. I started it for me. <laughs> so I could have a church I liked. And you just happened to like the same thing. So that was a big problem because I started it for me. And God says, give it back to me. And I thought, but what's he going to do with it if I give it back to him? Okay, this is what, whenever God challenges, whether, whatever it is, whether for me it was the church, maybe for you it's your career or your family or your house or whatever it might be. It's sort of like, what's he going to do with it if I give it back to him? I thought, what am I going to do? I, I don't really like this very much. What if he changes it and I don't like it? What will I do then? So I'm kind of sitting there in the meeting, just wrestling. Can I do this? And finally, I just thought, realized, you know, like, I can't find any way to say to Jesus, I'm going to keep your church for myself. So kind of through gritted teeth, I just sort of said, okay, God, I'll give it back to you. 
and just kind of held my breath because it was like signing a blank check. And sure enough, it wasn't long. The first thing he does, he started talking to me about some ways I needed to change the way I led. Then he started changing our leadership structure. Then he changed the way we did small groups. Then he changed the way we did worship. Finally, he said, I even want you to change your name. I want you to join the vineyard and you need to start calling yourself Evanston Vineyard Church. And I finally told my dad at the end of a year, my dad was a pastor and we were talking about this whole thing. And I said, you know, I don't think he liked our church very much. (laughs) Because we gave the church back to him and he changed everything. But it was better. It was a lot better. And I liked it a lot better. In fact, he took it from there. When we gave it back to him, God took it beyond our wildest imaginations. I mean, it has become a church that I never would have imagined, um, you know, a few years back. I'm retired now. I retired a couple years ago. But when we were getting close to retirement, somebody came to me and said, you know, have you achieved your dreams for your life? And I just laughed. I said, oh, we passed those up so long ago. It's not even worth talking about. Because God had greater things, much greater things, much better things in mind for us than we could ever have thought of at the beginning. So that's, that's kind of how it plays out. You give it back to God, and he actually, it's better. And you know, the funny thing is, when we give it all back to God, part of that is we cease living for ourselves. We, we cease trying to keep control of it all ourselves. We, we, we cease striving to make it all happen our way. And we simply let it go to him and be in his hands. And when we do, we become, like those Moravians in the storm, utterly fearless. When you've given everything away, you have nothing to fear. You give it all back to him, there's nothing to fear. Second thing then that is important if we're gonna keep this going is we gotta learn to wait on the Lord. The Moravians waited. That's what was happening in that prayer meeting that was going on. They're waiting on the Lord, waiting for God to move. They didn't like sit down and make this grand strategic plan. How are we going to take over the world? It didn't happen like that. They waited on the Lord and was in the right time and in the right way, the Lord spoke to them and opened the doors and made it happen. They had to wait for God to do it. If you're going to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, it has to be a walk of sort of, Father, may I? You know, is it the time? What do you have in mind? Jesus said in John 5, 19, he's talking to the religious rulers. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. If that's true for Jesus, then how much so for us? The truth is, in our own strength, by our own effort, we can't do that much. But in him, in his direction, when he leads, incredible things can take place. And far beyond what we imagined or could do on our own. So if you want to be a part of that, you have to be willing to wait for God to put it all together. When we were just beginning, before we had our big experience with the Holy Spirit as a church, or right around that same time, actually. Um, what had happened was is that we started off as a youth church, kind of. We only had like 
university students and, and immediately after uni students in our church. And, and then, of course, you know, like most youth churches, they find each other and then they get married. You have that season where you do nothing but go to weddings. And then eventually they start having children. And it's sort of like somebody said, well, I think we need to get a children's ministry. And so our thought was, well, yeah, we do. We need a, we need a children's pastor. So Dave, he's going to seminary. He needs a part-time job. Let's just hire him and he can be the children's pastor. So we just kind of grabbed him, you know, like the first warm body. Dave, you want a, you want a part-time job? And he said, sure. So he, he comes, he takes over as children's pastor. After six months, he says, I'm quitting. I've decided I'm not called to be a children's pastor. In fact, I've decided I'm not called to be a pastor at all. I'm going to do another career. And at that point, I realized, oh, yeah, that didn't work out so good. Just kind of our human effort, you know, just make a job posting and fill it. So then we, we decided, like, we actually need somebody called to our children, called by Jesus. We, we need something better than what, what we can do ourselves. So we didn't make a job posting. We didn't do any of that. We just started praying. We didn't tell people that it was going to be open. Started praying. And month by month by month went by. And my prayers are getting more desperate because disaster day is coming down the hallway here when Dave isn't doing it anymore. And, you know, I am finally get reduced to you know, lying on the floor, crying out to God, God, you got to do something here. We're running out of time here because we're waiting and waiting for God to do something. And then we, we go to this party somebody's hosting and we're at this party with these people and somebody says, hey, let's go around the room and everybody tell their dream for their life that they've never told anybody. And I thought, oh no. This is gonna be hokey. This is gonna be like that first week in Pop Idol where you know people think they can do stuff that they can't. And, but it wasn't my party and so off we went. And they started going around the room, at, you know, different people sharing what they had to share. And then we came to this woman. She was an African-American woman. At that point in time, we didn't have many African-Americans in our church, very few. But uh, now we have a lot. But she was one of, the, one of the first. And she was an incredible woman. She had a PhD and was a vice president at one of the Fortune 500 companies in, in Chicago. She was basically the most sort of in business terms, the most successful person we had in the whole church. Um, I mean, she had like, I think she had like three PAs that worked with her every day. They picked her up in a limousine to get her to work because they didn't want her to have to waste any energy on commuting in the car, you know. So, and she had a really nice car as well, you know. She had a luxury Mercedes car. So, you know, she's living this incredibly successful life and it, we go to her turn, it gets to be her turn, and she says, well, my dream for my life that I've never told anybody is that I'd like to work for Steve, namely me, and I think it has something to do with children. My eyes about popped out of my head. I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. I thought, I couldn't believe it. Did I just hear what I just heard? Like, would God love our kids that much? And so 
then the next day I realized, oh, now the ball's in my court. I need to like tell her that we've been praying about this. But then I started thinking about the salary we were gonna offer. <laughs> and about the no limousine part. And no PAs either. And recruiting volunteers all the time. And I just thought, oh gosh. Like, I can't ask her to do that. Like how, she's like the first person in her whole extended family to be this successful and I would ask her to walk away from it? I just thought, I can't do that. Oh God, you know. Finally, you know, it's Sunday again and I'm getting another week's gone by. And I and finally just said to God, look, God, I can't ask her. I just can't ask her to do this. If you want her to be our children's pastor, you're just gonna have to tell her yourself. <laughs> 15 seconds later, the phone rang and it was her. And she said, I've had two dreams every night this week, the same dream, over and over. And I just felt like 15 seconds ago, that God said I needed to call you and tell you about my dreams. And I thought, woo, that was a fast reply from, <laughs> tell me your dreams. So here's the first dream, folks. We'll see if you can get this. There's an airplane trying to take off from Chicago, but it's missing a part so it can't get off the ground. So it has to taxi 200 plus miles down the highway to her parents' house to get the missing part. Can you figure that dream out? Yeah, that was pretty obvious. And then here's the second dream. Jesus takes her into her grandmother's house, into the basement, and it's filled with children. And he says, you're to, you're to pray over these. And all I said to her, he says, well, you don't know, but Dave is quitting in two months. And we've been praying for months and months and months that God would call somebody to be our new children's pastor. She started screaming on the other end of the phone because she instantly knew what the dreams meant. She walked away from that incredible job, like Moses walking away from the treasures of Egypt to suffer disgrace with the people of God and served our children for 25 years. Many of whom became leaders in the church, pastors, church planters, all kinds of things all over the world. You know, and all of which is to say there was what we could do, eh. and then there was what, what God could do. That's why you want to wait. <laughs> That's why you want to wait on the Lord. That's why you want to get do it His way, because His what God can do is so much better and so much more than what we can do in our own intelligence or strength or effort. Then the last thing is, you gotta keep saying yes and taking the risk. I mean, the Moravians, they just kept saying yes. When God spoke, says, what about these people? Yes, send us. Take the risk. Go to the Caribbean. Get on the boat. Go this place. Go that place. They just kept saying yes. And when we say yes, Incredible things happen. Just, you know, years ago, I, was, uh, I used to go to the local university, to the CU, so I could poach students for the church. 
And I was sitting in the back one week and a guy comes in late and he's sick. He's really, really sick. He's got the worst cold ever. He's dripping and coughing and sweating. And, and I'm thinking, why is he not home in bed? And why is he sitting next to me? <laughs> and the Lord says, why don't you pray for him? So I just leaned over and said, can I pray for you? And he kind of gives me a funny look, but says, well, okay. So I prayed for him. And the guy's like instantly healed. Like in five seconds, all his symptoms are gone. He's like shaking himself and going, it's all gone, it's all gone. I can't feel anything. I feel completely normal. It's all gone. Long story short, turned out he was from a Muslim background. He was an exchange student from Turkey. He comes to our church, gives his life to Jesus. Then he finds a, a woman that's from Turkey, brings her, she gives her life to Jesus. She goes back. She finds some more students in Turkey that have just given their life to Jesus, becomes a part of that. And the next thing I know, I'm in Turkey training all these young students in Holy Spirit ministry. And now, out of that, we have six vineyard churches there. And they, in turn, through somebody else, started a church in Azerbaijan, which is working on planting a church in every province of that country. And then through them, we met somebody else who went to Tajikistan and started planting a bunch of vineyard churches there. And in Tajikistan, we met a young Iranian man who actually ended up marrying one of the women from our church, who they moved back into Iran and started hundreds of house churches that are still there today and growing and multiplying all because I prayed for a cult. When you say yes to even something, the littlest thing, you can never tell what God will make out of it. You just keep saying yes.